step into the wondrous realm of Exavalon, where mythical beings and magical creatures coexist in a world of enchantment and wonder. From humans to undead, elves to dwarves, knights to pirates, and orcs to barbarians, Exavalon is a diverse land filled with fascinating characters and legends. However, a grave danger looms over the land as the nefarious necromancers seek to usher in an era of darkness and despair. The stakes are high, but there is still hope, for heroes have risen to the call, ready to face a threat head-on and restore peace to the land. As you venture forth into Exavalon, you will witness breathtaking landscapes and experience unforgettable adventures. You will encounter dragons, demons, and other formidable foes, as well as make friends with loyal companions and wise mentors. Join us on this epic quest as we strive to defeat the necromancers and preserve the magic and wonder of Exavalon. From epic battles to heartwarming moments of bravery and friendship, Exavalon is a world like no other, and we invite you to be a part of it. Welcome to the Knights of Exavalon. Why Sir Reginaldi decided to kill Zithriel the Decade. Thanks for the food. As promised, let me tell you how I nearly destroyed Exavalon when I decided to kill Zithriel the Decade. Fine, but hurry. If it rains too hard, it will bring one of Sobek's crocodiles to the cave. Should we be prepared for them? I don't have any weapons. Do you have a sword or dagger I could use? You seem like you know how to use that bow of yours pretty well. Just relax and tell me your tale. Unless you want to be food for them. I'm only saying that I can help. I know how big and vicious they can get. Look, I didn't mean to offend. I can handle myself. What do you think you have been eating? I will continue my tale then. Like I said before, after killing Diagrid, the Death Lord, I was welcomed into the Odre Sacre and treated as a hero. Soon, I went all around Exavalon, killing trolls, orcs, barbarians, bandits, necromancers, the undead, and even demons. Anything that was terrorizing mankind. No evil was safe from me. I quickly climbed up the ranks of the knights, making a few jealous of me, but I was beloved by the king and church, especially after I killed the cult of virgins that was stealing and sacrificing children who belonged to the church. Soon, I was all that anyone ever talked about. I never took my helmet off. I didn't want anyone to see what I really looked like. Even when I slept, I kept my helmet on. I made sure to eat, drink, and bathe in secret. Many of men and women tried to remove my helmet. And when they couldn't figure out how to unlock it, they tried to convince me to remove it. Everyone wanted to be the first to see my real face. The rumors were all over the place, but no matter how weird or strange they got, I didn't care. 
the king and high priest didn't care that I never took my helmet off. All they wanted was the results. As long as they didn't know the truth, they wouldn't have to deal with it. Everything changed that fateful night when the giant demon bats of the Starnagarn Mountains began leaving the mountain caves and attacking Nairwood Castle. done their best to fight back, but the bats were too fast, agile, and strong. If it hadn't been for daylight, I don't think Nairwood Castle would still be there. Thankfully, the bats retreated into the cave once the sun came up. I was near Nairwood at that time. Once I heard what happened, I went there to investigate and stop the bats. When I talked with King Liam at the castle, he told me what happened with the bats. The miners were in the cave mining for coal and jewels when the miners broke through a cave wall. <coughs> when the dust cleared, the miners found themselves in the den of the bats. The bats killed all but one who managed to escape to tell the tale. Giant demon bats live deep within the caves and usually hunt in the mountains. In fact, it is rare for a person to see one. Perhaps that is because once a person sees one, the bats make sure to kill them. Could it be that was the reason the bats attacked Nairwood? Were they themselves scared that they would now be attacked? Or were they evil who enjoyed killing? Did they enjoy the screams and blood of humans? If so, why have they never attacked humans like this before? I wasn't going to wait until the bats came out that night to find out. So I decided to enter the cave. I can communicate with dragons, which made me try to see if it worked with bats. That was the only way I was going to find out why they attacked. I entered the cave, which reeked like death. The closer I got to the bats' den, the stronger the smell of rotten meat got. With my dragon nose, the smell was making me nauseous. I came upon the sleeping bats, careful not to wake them. I wanted to see how many there were, and if I stood a chance at fighting them. From my count, there were only five, but they were big. They looked to be about eight feet tall and weigh about 300 pounds. Their wings were wrapped around their bodies. At my feet were the ripped apart heads and bodies of the Denzians, soldiers, and knights of Nairwood Castle. I walked up to a bat, carefully touched its head. The moment I touched him, I could hear his thoughts. Wicked, terrible thoughts. They enjoyed killing the humans. In the past, they had been afraid to attack the castle, but once the humans broke into their den, they had to attack, even if it meant death. Now that they knew humans were so weak, 
they were going to slaughter every village they came across, feasting upon the dead. The bat smiled as he thought about the screams and bloodshed they produced last night. Anger boiled inside me as I grabbed my sword and ran it through the bat's skull, killing it instantly. I was able to kill four of the bats before the fifth woke. He screamed at me, demanding to know why I killed his family. I told him I was doing this because they killed the humans at Nearwood Castle. The bat laughed as it mocked me for caring for the humans. He told me what I had already suspected, that the bats killed the humans at first to hide their secret, but then they enjoyed the terror they caused. The bat attacked me, purely out of vengeance. The bat was stronger than I realized, but before I killed him, he sliced through my armor, leaving a deep wound in my chest. I found a squire outside the castle, who I sent to tell the king that the bats were dead, and that I had to leave immediately to Cattleborough Castle. For the next three weeks, I rested in my room as my trusted healer healed my wounds. He was the only one who knew my secret, but swore to never tell a living soul. While I rested, I realized that we knights needed to eradicate the world of evil. If all we ever did was react to evil, then we would never stop it. No, we had to stop evil before it attacked. If I wasn't there to stop the bats, then they would have easily killed every person in the castle. Dirgid had already gone mad and caused darkness to cover Ketterborough Castle. What if Azisrael went mad and caused decay to spread across Exavalon? I decided then that I was going to find every dragon, read their mind, and if they posed a threat, I was going to kill them. Hold your story, knight. Sobek's crocodiles are coming this way. Get behind me. Here, take this dagger. Only use it if something happens to me. Welcome to the History of Exavalon. Hello, and welcome back to my library. I am Aldor the Wise, one of many historians of Exavalon. Today, I have a tragic tale about the senseless violence and hatred that the goblins spread across Exavalon, the wreckage they left in their way, and their ultimate demise. As a historian of Exavalon, I present to you the rise and fall of the goblins. If you remember from the creation of Exavalon, the gods are responsible for creating life on newly created planets. The lesser gods are responsible for creating life under the tutelage and guidance of the three higher gods. When it comes to creating life, the higher gods have been known to not care as long as the lesser gods don't create demons or abominations, which are when two races mix together, such as elf and orc, human and dragon, dwarves and goblins. The higher gods feel as if abominations are a mockery to them. There was a lesser god named Modare. Madare was a loner among the lesser gods. 
the other lesser gods often will look down upon Madurai and not allow him to assist in any form of creating life. Madurai was born in a gutter to a wench who could ill but afford to have a child, especially one so ugly and stinky as Madurai. So she left him in the gutter, food for the rats, worms, and maggots, and without a glance backwards, she left him there. Madurai was a fighter who cried until a passing priest found him, bringing him to the church where he was raised in the dark away from the other people who said he was too ugly for their eyes and too smelly for their noses. Still, even in the dark, Madurai flourished, learning secrets of the gods, eventually gaining god status himself. Even though the other lesser gods felt he was unworthy, the higher gods embraced him, not caring about his mortal life, for they were after his knowledge, which they would later claim as their own. Madurai, realizing that life would never grow if it always stayed the same, decided to create an abomination, a new race to plague the humans and elves that the higher gods loved so much. In the dark crevices of Exavalon, while the higher gods were celebrating the elves and humans, and the other lesser gods were celebrating the dwarfs and orcs they created, Madurai took an orc and a dwarf and created the first goblin. Deep within the Bashir Mountains, Madurai continued to perfect his goblins, filling them with his immense knowledge and hatred of humans and elves. Still, after a thousand years, the other gods and beings of Exavalon were clueless as to the creation of the goblins. The gods never cared where Madurai was as long as he was away from them. Any human that ventured into the Bashir Mountains and saw the goblins was instantly killed. As more people went missing after visiting the Bashir Mountains, the more the rumors of a mountain troll, dragon, worm, djinn, and even a demon living in the mountains arose. These rumors brought brave warriors to the mountains, all wanting a chance to kill the evil that lived there. The rumors were true about a demon living in the mountains. All of the people being killed caught the attention of Golgexith, who knew that no evil he or any other demon created was responsible. Upon investigating the mountain, he found Madurai and the goblins. Madurai, knowing that Golgoxith was a demon and that demons could not be trusted, unleashed his goblins upon Exavalon. With the goblins free from the mountains, the human beings and other gods quickly became aware of their existence. The gods, being upset at what they felt was a betrayal by Madurai, gave him a trial of mercy, which is a fancy way of saying, we have already decided you are guilty, but we will pretend to offer you mercy, just so we don't look bad. Madurai, being found guilty of his transgression, was locked away for a millennium in the prison of Gol. While the gods were deciding the fate of Madurai, the goblins were slaughtering elves and humans across Exavalon. There were two reasons why the goblins were easily slaughtering the elves and humans. First, they had the wisdom of the gods and could outsmart their enemies. Second, the goblins teamed up with the orcs. Even though the goblins were smart, they were not strong. So they needed the orcs to act as their warriors. The orcs have a natural disdain for elves and humans and willingly joined the goblins. The gods gave little thought about the goblins, assuming the elves and humans would easily slaughter them. However, the opposite proved to be true. 
At this point in Exavalon's history, the goblins had enslaved the remaining elves and humans. The goblins ruled Exavalon into an age of vileness and filthiness. The goblins were true to their word and allowed the orcs to do what they wanted and to take what they wanted, as long as it didn't interfere with them. There were a few members of the church of the one true God, some knights, humans, and elves that were hiding in the far north, in the frozen caves of the island Tafranduti. These few people continued to praise the gods, pleading for help, which kept the gods satisfied. But when the goblins desecrated the holy temple of Gihorzom, the gods decided to step in. The gods instructed the Grand High Priest to create a new order of brave, obedient, courageous knights called the Odre Sacre, or the Holy Order. Once the order was created, the gods blessed the knights with a portion of their knowledge and strength. These holy knights began purging the land of the goblin invaders, first cleaning out the holy temple, the capital, and then the rest of Exavalon. With their new godlike powers, there was nothing that the goblins could do to outsmart them, nor any orc alive that could outstrengthen them. The orcs, being the opportunists that they are, pledged fealty to the humans, promising to never rise up against them again if they would spare their lives. The orcs ventured to the marsh of Ashnagan, where they live today in their orc city of Ognaga. The gods commanded that no goblin be left alive, not even as slaves. They had tried to hide in the mountains, islands, caves, and forests, but the knights pursued them to every dark corner of Exavalon, slaughtering them in the name of the gods. Despite Moderae's attempt at shielding his goblins from the influence of the demon Golgoxeth, Golgoxeth was able to influence Ezlak, the first goblin created, with his hidden knowledge of all things demonic and dark. When the knights began slaughtering the goblins, Ezlak took a horde of goblins and hid deep within the Bashir Mountains. Ezlak was not going to sit idly by as the elves, humans, and gods he detested slaughtered him and his fellow goblins. With his god and demonic knowledge, he used his body, blood, and soul to create the five cursed items, the cursed scroll, cursed ring, cursed armor, cursed sword, and cursed soul. Ezlek and the goblins, unable to wield the cursed items, needed a strong warrior. Unknown to them, while they were creating the cursed objects, a hundred years had passed, and all of the other goblins had been killed. It was around this time that Sir Godfried, the omen, was going to the dragon's pyramid to get a dragon's egg to place in the holy temple of Girhozom. He was still in the Bashir Mountains at nightfall. He decided to camp. Unknown to him, he camped next to the goblin city of Nilermink. In the middle of the night, when the moon is at its highest and the ghosts and ghouls are at their strongest, the goblins took Sir Godfried into the mountain. It was in those mountains that the goblins corrupted Sir Godfried with all sorts of unholy words, images, and thoughts, thus turning him into the first Knight of the Dead, an unholy warrior that had all five of the cursed objects. But the reign of terror of Sir Godfried, the first undead knight, is a tale for another night. I hope you have enjoyed my tale of the rise and fall of the goblins. Come back another night, and I will tell you the history 
of the Jinn's Pyramid. Welcome to the Stories of Exavalon. How Razul the Soul Eater got the cursed armor. Barkyan could not believe his luck. Surely this was Gihorzum's will and blessings to Barkyan for the four years he spent recruiting people to the Church of the One True God. Everything was going according to plan. All he needed was to seal the deal at the Moon Garden Cemetery. Then, and only then, would Marjolene's heart be his. He smiled as he thought about marrying her and the kids they would have. Someday, his kids would become recruiters for the faith. The first part of his plan succeeded better than he planned. He took Marjolene to the statue of Bella Luna, the weeping elf widow who watched over elven sailors at the western point of the Silver Moon Lake in the outskirts of the elven ruins of La Soule de Chenroth. The two bandits he hired played their parts perfectly. The moment Bartyan and Marjolene walked up to the lake, the men had come out with their daggers in hand, demanding money. Bartyan could feel Marjolene shaking as she hid behind him. Bartyan pulled out his sword and knocked the daggers from the bandits' hands. The moment the bandits ran away, Marjolene gave Bartyan a kiss on the cheek and held his arm even tighter than before. Bartyan should have taken Marjolene back to Fellwood Village and continued to court her, but he could not waste this opportunity. He needed Marjolene to decide tonight that she needed him, and the best way to do that was to protect her from the evils of this world. Bartyan justified that it was okay to lie if it was for a good outcome. Surely, in his time as a recruiter for the church, he lied about the history and truth of the church, but he justified that saving their souls was worth any lie. The same was true with Marjolene. Someday, they would laugh at this, and she would be touched that he went to such great effort to win her. Marjolene was not one to waste time with the boys. If she did not feel a connection, then she would move on to the next suitor. And as a 16-year-old girl, she was in no rush to settle down. She needed a man, not any one of these weak boys and men of Fellwood Village, who wanted to make Marjolene theirs. She was the definition of beauty. She had plump, rose-colored lips, bright blue eyes, long golden hair, and milky white skin. Not only was she pleasant to look upon, she was short, curvy, with large breasts. There was something else about Marjolene that made men want her. She had this aurora around her that made you feel like anything was possible. Rather than head back to the village, Barjan and Marjolene got on their horses and rode towards Moon Garden Cemetery for the second part of his plan. The two bandits, the two bandits were to act like ghosts and ghouls. They were to try to kidnap Marjolene, but before they could, Bartyan would be there to rescue her by beating back the ghost and ghouls. However, not before getting injured with a prick of swamp rot. Sure, he would be in an intense pain for the next week, but as long as they did not give him too much swamp rot, he would recover fully. Marjolene would feel so bad that she would have no choice but to give her heart and life to Bartyan. Bartyan smiled as they rode up to the cemetery gates, the full moon illuminated above. 
a fog was rolling in from the lake, and a cool spring wind was blowing through, causing the dead tree branches to hit into each other. Bartian smiled wider as he looked back at Marjolaine and saw her frightened face. Bartian, we shouldn't stop here. I heard ghost stories about the elves that haunt this place, waiting for any foolish human to enter, Marjolaine said. Worry not. I will protect you if any ghost or ghoul comes this way. My horse needs but a moment to rest. She is an old filly and can't keep up like she used to. Marjolaine smiled. Okay, it's just that I'm afraid of this place. Fear not. I will protect you from any ghost and ghoul, Bartan yelled into the air. The entrance to the cemetery was quiet. The bandits were supposed to come out when they heard him say ghost and ghouls. Where were they? Had they taken his money and ran? No, that was not possible. They were to get the other half at the cemetery once they performed their part. Bartian, are you ready? I want to leave. Bartian continued to look around the cemetery for the bandits. Where are you? he thought. Bartian, I want to leave. Please take me home. God's bane, his plan was falling apart. The longer they remained at the cemetery, the more Marjolaine was getting scared and annoyed. If he did not act fast, he was at risk of losing her forever. Then, in the distance, he saw a lantern shining in the back of the cemetery. That had to be the bandits. Perhaps they had gotten the plan mixed up. They were not the smartest of men. Or maybe... They went to look for a lantern, though with a full moon, a lantern was not necessary. Who else would be at this forsaken elven cemetery on this accursed night? Bartian, I want to leave. Wait, I think I see a child in the cemetery. I don't see anything. It might be a ghost, Bartian. I want to go home now, and I need you to guide me, Marjolaine pleaded. Bartian looked at Marjolaine and knew that if the ghost and ghouls did not appear, then he had already lost her. When he saw the bandits, he was going to give them a poke with his sword, nothing too deep, but it would be painful. They deserved some pain to atone for the emotional pain and possibility of ruining his future with Marjolaine. Bartian got off his horse and reached his hand up to Marjolaine, who shook her head. You go, but hurry. I can't stand going inside that cemetery. That was fine. He would go inside the cemetery, get the bandits, who were probably drunk, and then he would win Marjolaine. Bartian quickly walked through the cemetery, past the elven graves that had been worn down by time and lack of care. The gold, silver, and jewels that ornated the graves had been stolen by grave robbers. With no elves protecting the cemetery, it was only a matter of time before the valuables had been stolen. A raven croaked from a large oak tree as Bartian walked past. Up ahead, he could hear two people digging. You were supposed to meet me at the gates. I have half a mind to cut your pay in half if I'm going to pay you at all. Now stop that grave robbing and come with me to the entrance. We have to hurry, Bartian said as he walked past the crypt and came into view of the bandits. The bandits were digging fiercely into the ground with their hands. The skin on their hands had been torn away, revealing the bone. 
This did not stop them from digging, though. Stop digging, you fools. Barchan walked up to the bandits and noticed a glowing object in the corner of his eye. Why do you interrupt my undead diggers? A voice asked. Barchan looked over to see a mutilated male elf with red eyes. Who, who are you? Are you an elf who was lost at sea? I am Razul, the soul eater. This you see before me is my mutilated body. I know I am not pleasant to look upon. These men are digging for the cursed armor, which I need to host my body. Would you prefer to become an undead digger for me? Or do you want me to eat your soul? I, I, I'm not alone. You appear alone. I, I, I have a girl waiting for me at the gates. She needs me to take her home. I am your home. Now decide. Undead slave, or shall I feast upon your soul? Um, um, uh, slave? Razul nodded as a goblin jumped on Barcham's back, producing a long, black, curved knife and slit Barjam's throat. Hot blood poured down Barjam's neck as he fell on his knees and clutched at his throat. So this is dying, Barjan thought. A few moments later, Barjan woke up and looked to Razul for commands. His soul was in his body, but no matter how hard he tried, he could not get it to obey his commands. Now, go get your girl. We need more diggers. Tonight is our only chance until the next full moon to find the armor. Bartian walked back to the gate. Marjoline was still there, nervously looking around. Finally, can we go now? Bartian tried to scream at her to ride away from this accursed place. Bartian was next to Marjoline when he pulled out a bone knife and said, Yes, come with me, my dear. We will be together forever in the service of Razul, the Soul Eater. This has been Tales from Exavalon, including the history of Exavalon, the Knights of Exavalon, and stories of Exavalon. Tales from Exavalon is written and produced by Misfit Kid Publishing, LLC, all rights reserved. I would like to take a moment to personally thank you for listening to Tales from Exavalon. I hope you have enjoyed these stories and I hope that you will come back to listen to the other stories that we will be producing. Thank you again, and may every day be an adventure.